Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Fast, quick shout out to Chad Moyer who filled in for me yesterday. I actually got to go on a field trip and hear from a Holocaust survivor. So thank you, Chad, for filling in for us. And uh, we've got an interesting market trade once again. Of course, we had that WASDE report that came out earlier in the day. We're going to look at it not only from a grain perspective, but what's going on right now on the livestock side of the trade with some sales. We know cash backed off after seeing some higher number these last couple of weeks. But I have a feeling that this dip is just going to be that, a quick dip. We'll find out all the details today with Mike Zuzalo. He joins us with Global Commodity Analytics. And let's start out with this WASDE report. What was your biggest takeaway from the numbers that came out today? You know, my biggest takeaway, Susan, was with the wheat market breaking, heading into the report, and also the soybean market, I think, pulling out some weather premium as models started to get a little bit wetter, or at least introducing the potential for some rains in the 10-day plus forecast. I, I was of the view that, okay, we probably don't have a lot of negativity to have to price in unless USDA really does something odd with the U.S. yield figures, like raising them or something like that, something that would be completely out there in terms of what the trade was expecting. And so we didn't get that. And so as soon as I saw the yield numbers were unchanged, and then I saw pretty much the November report was just reprinted in the December column for corn and soybeans on the domestic side, I you know went straight over to the wheat to see how much discount and was it enough discount that the trade price in before the numbers came out and and we only lost 20 million bushels in exports domestically i thought that was a winning situation in a winning scenario and then when i looked at the world numbers yes they were up but when i look at stocks to use ratios globally we're only up two tenths of a percent in the wheat versus last month and in the corn we actually stayed the same at 25 and a half percent stocks to use and I think the biggest surprise, best for last, was the soybean number. The soybean ending stocks to use ratio globally went down from 27.5 to 27.1. I think me and a lot of the other trade analysts out there were thinking it would stay at least the same, if not go up a little bit. Um, but it didn't, and that was mainly because the USDA cut China's soybean production by 2.6 million tons. And I think that was a, I don't want to call it a gift, but I think it was very necessary to offset some of the more impactful, maybe price negative weather that we're starting to see, you know, around the corner on the models. Plus, we're starting to see um, the USDA, you know, show exports. They're coming on, they're doing okay, but they're just not the pace we want them to be, uh, especially as we get closer to South American production coming online. In an email that you sent out to, uh, to your subscribers, you did talk about China reversing their inflationary bias uh, last night. What is that going to mean for our market trade, and does it come as any surprise to you? Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because I feel like that the beans could have been up 20-plus on the close on Thursday because of the USDA supply-demand report and that China's production went, went lower instead of remaining the same or went higher. But, yeah, earlier this week, China came in and said, okay, we're going to cut our bank reserve requirements, the ratio that we require banks to hold. And that's inflationary. That just that's and that's the second time this year they've done it, Susan. So that's a very inflationary move. It's it's a it's a move that the Chinese government makes when they feel like their government's stalling out. In other words, 
if they go below a certain altitude of growth, they're going to have mass unemployment. Well, that altitude of growth is about 5%, 5.5%. So you can kind of read the tea leaves right now by them doing that, that the Chinese are nervous about mass unemployment and stalling out their economy. So they injected a bunch of liquidity by cutting the reserve ratio the banks had to hold. That added up to about $188 billion U.S., from what I can tell. Now, last night, they came in and did the exact opposite. They came in and they raised the FX, the currency reserves, the foreign currency reserves that the banks have to hold. Um, but that was only about $20 billion from what I'm hearing. And so net-net, we had a much more inflationary bias of this injection of money into China's economy that should, you know, three, four, five months down the road really be seen in their demand for steel, their demand for copper, their demand for grains. And so I felt like as we got out of this week that the the market would want to take the dollar lower. The Chinese currency made a new three-year high after that initial cut in their reserve requirements at their banks. Um, so we kind of they kind of just pause, put the pause button by doing what they did last night. So I want to see how we close out the end of this week. Well, and the fact that we also have to deal with everything going on with the Winter Olympics coming up. And I know we talked about this earlier this week in this program that there's some guys that are nervous that that retaliation could have an effect on our grain and livestock markets both. And it probably will, especially as we get closer to January, February. And it really just puts us back into the spot that we were in last year at this time where it's not so much the demand that's really driving the bus, it's the weather and the supply. Obviously, China and other countries, if South America has big weather problems 30 days from now, they're probably going to be really, really hesitant to do any cancellations or use food as a political weapon if our relationship between each other gets worse. But if South America is looking like a 142-plus Brazilian bean crop, then that's on the table that the, that the Chinese would use that because they have in the past. And I think this is a, a real sincere issue, and that's why this cut in their production today was so beneficial from a standpoint. If we could get one more big rally, like we talked about the last time on the final bell, I think it's a good rally to get some beans hedged. And you know the next couple of weeks, Mike, we're going to be watching this South American crop pretty closely. We are, and, and this is where the South American crop and the hard red wheat crop here in the United States are probably going to be the two biggest weather players out there. And if, if either or both of those turn wet, it's going to be hard for the market unless the outside markets are telling the, the inflation bowl to jump back in. It's going to be hard for the markets to regenerate the kind of energy we have right now. So momentum right now is really crucial and really key, and that's why I continue to watch the copper, the crude oil, and the wheat. And the wheat numbers are key right now, Susan. The, the soft red wheat has last week's low of 770 and a half. And then November low, really big low of 762.5. Folks, we do have a lot more coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the World Radio Network. At Fontenelle Hybrids, our dealers make the difference in the products we sell. Here's Fontenelle dealer Kevin Callwhite from Humphrey, Nebraska. We've had wonderful success. We do a lot of field trials, side-by-sides, and test plots to help fine-tune products for our customers' specific needs. I have peace of mind knowing that next year's products will be selected and tested by someone that knows our farms and knows our area, and that's Fontenelle. For more, visit Fontenelle.com. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Should come as no surprise, we saw a little bit of a dip in this cash market today for the cattle. And we're going to talk more about that with Mike Zuzalo. He joins us again with Global Commodity Analytics. And, and Mike, it was a bit of a drop, and it seemed like once one caved, the others followed suit. But could we possibly see it move its way back up into higher numbers? Well, I think your point about the potential for this being a short-term feature really resonates with me, Susan, from a standpoint of the spreading. We've really just been outright by in terms of the funds, and I think the, the funds also that are driven by fundamentals have really been driven by this idea of the demand, that the beef demand is just going to get better, 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 and that the pork demand, i.e. China, is just going to be really, really tough, and it's not going to come back anywhere close to what it was back in t- the, the earlier this year uh, as we head into 2022. Now, I do think the weekly export sales, though, today really put the pause button on the idea of buying fat cattle and selling hogs because beef export sales were 81% below the four-week average. South Korea had reductions of about 4,300 metric tons. Our total sales were 4,200 metric tons for the whole week for all the other countries combined. So you can see what a player South Korea is when it comes to our beef exports. And so we had a marketing year low in beef exports while the pork, it hung in there. It was still down about 26% from the four-week average, but it hung in there. So my sense right now is is that the retail featuring during the holidays is going to make the pork really shine on the demand side domestically. And so if that's the case then the cash cattle market will probably fall towards the futures market. I could see the futures market going mostly sideways and the cash falling to the futures market. The reason I say that is because I spent about three hours on the web last night looking at specials and features at all the grocery stores around the country. I wrote a special update to the clients about some of the restaurant issues we're facing with carryout orders being no longer being done by many restaurants, including here in Atchison, because of labor shortages. But the fact that we have KC strips, ribeyes, running 16 to $30 a pound right now, compared to pork loin Iowa chops at 5 bucks a pound, or top loin boneless roasts uh, in the pork sector at 5 bucks a pound, I, I think that really is going to show up in, in the U.S. consumer here during the holidays. It certainly is in my family. I, I really have got to find another way to cook a different uh, type of, of cut of beef if I'm going to have beef. I just can't afford that kind of level of price for a ribeye at this point, especially roasts, which are so hard to come by right now. So I think I would be cautious, and I'm still a hedger, but because the futures has a discount to the cash right now, I'm not as much a hedger. Um, just because the futures may not have to fall that much, it's going to be the cash that really falls. So I, I would say stay very, very current here. Well, the writing's kind of been on the wall as we continue to see those ads come out. And at some point, you'd say the consumers have got to put their hands up and say, I'm done. Should that happen? Will we see the prices back off a little bit? Or do we have too much in storage that we need to pay for? Yeah, economic theory would say if there are substitutes out there, the people will turn to those substitutes at a certain price level. And I guess what I'm saying as an analyst and, and something that you know I've been doing many years now is that we're at that level and there are effective substitutes in terms of pork and even poultry and even lamb. I've seen a lot more sale bills 
for lamb in the grocery stores. And if you can cook that right, uh, it does get the job done. Is it, is it as good as beef? Well, maybe not. Maybe it is. It depends on what your taste and preference. <laughs> but when you're talking about price by itself, you tend to move and, and you know direct your taste towards the price, too. I, I chuckled a little bit. So any of our listeners that may be looking to cook lamb, call me. I'll get you all helped out. What are We'd have... We, we would have it every Easter just because it was a tradition, and so we're very used to eating lamb and beef at the same time. Always a good thing. Let's let's look at what what is going to be your takeaway for the next you know two to three weeks as we wrap up twenty twenty one, and we look at both grain or livestock markets. Anything that's a red or a white flag for you at this point? You know, the white flag right now, and that means a good sign potentially, is that new variant of the COVID does not seem as serious as far as what it does to people that get it. And I think that's a real boon potentially for the commodity inflation bull to come back in the first quarter of 2022. I would reiterate what you and I have talked about several times already, Susan, that I think that 2022 is a weather supply-driven cost push inflation-driven market uh, like we had in 2021, and that if that's the case, then the first part of 2022 will provide us the best prices to hedge, especially in the grains, uh, maybe to a lesser degree in the beef, and, and, and maybe we'll get a little bit of a rally in the pork by the second or third quarter especially. But I think that as you get towards May, June, you probably want to get more and more defensive uh, on the price action if you're a grower. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? Best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcom with two M's, research.com. I'll be doing some webinars that I will be posting for clients. Uh, they're client-only uh, webinars, but subscribers are also going to get a lot of information here. It is being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers here on the Rural Radio Network.